All right, well, our scripture reading is from Matthew 28, verses 5 through 10 in the NIV version. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 10. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. He came, they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Thank you. Appreciate it, Calvin. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Um, what a time it is to be alive, isn't that right? It's a good time to be alive, and it's a good time to see that the Lord is blessing us, and he is certainly been good to, good to us. And to see all of you here, it's uh, Resurrection Easter Sunday, and to see all of you here is an amazing thing, and we just thank God for all of you being here. Uh, now, I just want you to know, first of all, I'm still not six feet tall. Uh, you know that already, right? Okay. I'm still not six feet tall. I'm still the same guy that you saw a couple of months ago, but I know some of your faces a little better now. Uh, ask me how I know after the fact. Uh, but I know a little bit of your faces now, and we are trying to get accommodated to being here, and the Lord has been blessing us, and it's uh, been peaceful, and it has not been anxiety-free. Try moving seven kids across the country. You know, it's uh, it's an amazing thing, but the Lord has been good and it's good to see all of you all and pray for pray for me as I'm headed back uh, to Kansas after uh, after this is over. But we look forward to seeing all of you here in a couple of weeks. Amen. As Jackie would say, God is good and all the time. God is good. God is good. Listen, this morning we are in Philippians chapter two and this is home for me now. Okay, and so let me tell you what I do when we when I'm at home. Anytime that we read the word, we reverence it by standing where we are. And so if you can and you're able, stand to your feet as we reverence and we read the word of God. You stand for everything else, right? Um, You know, the president walks in the room, you get up. Judge walks in the room, you get up. So now that we reverence the word, we're going to stand. Because we want to be respectful to what the word has for us today. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Thank you, Calvin, for the inspirational encouragement of the reading of Matthew 28. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we are today. Um, And we are at the fifth verse of Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read this with you all. Is that all right? So listen, verse 5. He says... Have this, and this is the New American Standard Bible, one of my favorite versions of the Bible, but we're going to preach it from the New King James Version. He just simply says, have this attitude in you, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to hold on to or to be grasped. 
So then he says in verse number seven, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and having been being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So then verse nine, he says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, watch this, every knee will bow of those who are where? In heaven, those who are still on earth, and those who are under the earth, he says, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You may be seated. Thank you so much for obliging me uh, with that. This morning, we want to talk from, a, from this particular thought, from riches to rags. Yeah, I know y'all, you, you look at me, you thought, you thought that was a, a typo, right? You say, I thought we go from rags to riches. But Jesus went from riches to rags. So I want you to understand today that, first of all, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. And he's encouraging them to understand and and realize that at some point in time, you need to make up your mind that you want to be like Christ. You got to, in every point of your life, you have to make up in your mind, I'm going to be like Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you have to have a determination, I'm going to be like Christ. When you get to work, you have to have a determination that I'm going to be like Christ. If you thought that just because you were a Christian, you were always going to want to be like Christ, just wait until you go to work tomorrow. Right? There's always somebody there that if you don't catch yourself in time, they can what? Take you there. Oh, okay. Maybe that's just, oh, that's just you. Okay. Maybe that's just me and you. But at some point in time, um, you, you have to make up in your mind that I am going to be like Christ. So Paul told the church at Philippi, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He then told him in verse number three, he said, look, don't do anything and be selfish about it. Don't do anything of empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. He says, you don't understand what I'm saying, do you? Okay, let me give you an example. He says, verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says to every believer that you have to adopt the same attitude or the same frame of mind that was found between Jesus and the Father. And and I don't want anybody in here to get it twisted. This can be done. 
Because there are many people who may be even in this audience right now who feel that they can't control their moods or control their emotions. But Paul says, I don't accept the the idea that you cannot control your mood. I don't accept the idea that you can't control your emotions. He says, because the fact is, is that when you are a spirit field child of God, you have to become a slave to your attitude, to your attitude. What's the attitude? The attitude of, I have to become a slave to the attitude which I am to possess. And that is the attitude of Jesus. And so Christ has this attitude. So Paul says, so we have to have the same thing as well. But one of the, the greatest myths of life of popular psychology that has drifted and found its way into the church, it deals with the impulsive behavior based on emotions. In an attempt to get in touch with our feelings, the myth advocates that we must do what our feelings indicate. And Christians, don't get it twisted, are to be able to be in touch with their emotions, but still do what following Jesus requires. That's why Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. Jesus had a mindset in him that said, not my will, but your will be done. That's the mindset that Jesus had. And so verse 6 Verse 6, he told him this. He says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You see, I have that bolded there, right? So that means I need you to really pay attention to that. I'm even putting a little arrow there to it because I really need you to pay attention to it. Why is that? Because who who being, oh, there's even a little circle there. Y'all see that? Who being in, let's go to school real quick is a present participle. What does that mean? In in Greek, it means that it's something that starts, but is still continuing. And so Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he says he never stopped being God. Y'all say hallelujah to that. That, He never stopped being God and he will continue to be God. The words in the Greek, continuing existence from beginning. The reason why Resurrection Easter Sunday is so important is because Jesus has always existed with God. Christ is equal to God because he is God. Though Christ is God, he became a man in order to fulfill God's plan for salvation for all people. So you say, Jeremy, what does this mean? Present participle, meaning continuing to be, means that Jesus never stopped being God. Form of, in that text, is the usage that Paul uses to describe the outward manifestation of the inward essence. 
What does that mean to me, Jeremy? The word form then would suggest that, uh, suggest to you that Jesus expressed the very nature and character of God from the inside and you could see it on the outside. What are you telling me then, Jeremy? In Jesus, we have an awesome opportunity to see what God is like. That's why he says being in the form, bounce in there, form of God. So he was God because he was in the beginning and he was God because he was able to take the characteristics of the inward essence of who he was and share it with everybody else. And though he was God, I don't want you to miss it, though he was God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I want you to see this because this is so important. Because there are two schools of thought that are true in the case of this phrase. Number one Jesus did not have to seize or grasp his equality because it was already his to begin with. That's the first thought you need to, if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're taking notes, write that down. Jesus did not have to seize or grasp his equality because, first of all, it was already his to begin with. Here's the second thing. I need you to write this down. Jesus did not consider his equality with God as something which he had to hold on to then and let slip from his grasp. He says, if it's already mine, I can put this down and then when I'm ready, I can what? Take it back up again. So if you see that, he says, it's not a robbery to be equal with God. Because I can set this aside for a moment because we have bigger plans than what the human eye can see. And so Jesus did not have to wrestle then equality from God, nor did he have to cling to his equality. But he thought enough of you and he thought enough of me to set it aside for a time in order to become just like you and to become just like me. So think about this. Maybe you came here today and you were looking for some good advice. Well, I got some advice to share with you. The practical application of verse number six is for the child of God to mimic the Savior and seek a life of service. Understand, and this this is the reality that none of us want to face, but this this is real. Understand, it's not about you. Are you hearing that today? It's not about you, but it's about living a life of service. And as a church, I make declarations when I preach, and I just want us to understand, as a church, we cannot hoard our resources of people and treasures, but we have to make them available as Jesus became available for you and me. He was the resource that we needed. And so we ought not hoard our resources of ourselves and of our people and of our treasure. When every resource we needed, God gave it to us. He gave it to us. So watch this. Verse number seven. Verse number seven. The Bible says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant then 
and coming in the likeness of men. So he made himself. Uh, he, he, he is the he made himself. That word "made" would translate from into Greek "eton uh, which means to empty oneself. Jesus gave himself. Jesus poured out himself. Jesus put himself on the line for you and me. And what did we do to receive that? We didn't do anything to receive it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Jesus says, I want to. And you ought to walk out of here today encouraged because Jesus said, I want to. I want to. But that word made is very, very interesting because it's actually the Greek terminology morphe which is where we get the idea of the word morphed in English. Y'all remember, um, well, you may not remember, but I was a little kid. And um, I used to watch Power Rangers. Anybody else used to watch Power Rangers? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 you with me? Okay, all right, good. All right, so I watched Power Rangers, and we had Tommy and Jason and Billy and Kimberly and Trina and Zach. Y'all remember them? Okay, I'm telling my age, right? Um, but we had, we had, we had, and Tommy somehow was a Green Ranger at one point, and then he came back somehow as the white. Anyway, so, so this is what happened. They used to be just normal people walk around and they'd hang out and but then they would hear from the master and they would say something is wrong and so they would get up to their little little space thing and they would say hey what's going on and they tell them what the problem is and then they would say it's morphine time but i need you to understand they didn't stop being themselves they just added something to themselves that made them better for the situation. Okay, I need y'all to see this. Why, why do you say that, Jeremy? I say that because of the fact that Jesus morphed, taking the very nature of who we are, but then taking on the nature of a servant was not an exchange for his deity, it was just an additional essential nature he needed to understand you and me. And so if I can help anybody in here as you leave today, Jesus did not empty himself of being God, nor did he exchange it, but Jesus added lowly to his resume. Jesus added servant to his resume. He added humility to his resume. He added human body to his resume. He added human nature to his resume. Jesus did not give up his deity to become human. He just added to himself so that he could be better for our situation. What a God we serve who's willing to add to himself so that he can better understand this old wretched man that I am. So consider this. Jesus was in his very nature, morph of God. And upon his birth as a human being, he took the form or he morphed into a slave. And then what appeared on earth was not a prince in a palace, or a royal king, or a wealthy and a scholarly teacher, 
But instead, Jesus' form or his nature on earth was best wrapped up in the social position of one whose entire life is devoted to serving other people. Uh, For even the Son of Man, as Mark would sell it, uh, Mark says in Mark 10, verse number 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. He was born in human likeness. He didn't look at any, any, he didn't look any different from anybody else. Certainly he didn't look like a God because Isaiah even predicted in his prophecy that he had no form or majesty that when we should look at him, nothing in his appearance would make us even want to have anything to do with him. He was born subject to Jewish law and his parents, he was born subject to them He didn't have great wealth, uh, breeding, privilege, or position. Instead, he was just simply a poor carpenter living in a dusty town in the Roman-occupied territory of Galilee. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And while Jesus was fully human, his humanity was a likeness. Why, Jeremy? Because the similarity stopped at the human nature's inborn tendency to sin. Jesus, though fully human, was without sin. And so he took that form on as a bondservant in the likeness of men. I hope I'm helping somebody here this morning. Listen, verse 8, verse 8, and this is where it all is, right here. He says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But look, found appearance. Appearance in the Greek is not the same as the word morphe or morphed. But it is the Greek word skamia, which only deals with the outer appearance rather than the nature or the essence of who an individual is. And so when Jesus took on a human body, he then humbled himself to accomplish the task for which he had come and that was to die for and that was sinful humanity in order that we might have eternal life. That's a good thing. This does not mean, however, that he was obedient to death as if death had any power over him. But Jesus obeyed the will of the Father to the point of death. See the difference. Jesus was not obedient to death, but he obeyed the will of God to the point of death. There's a difference. What are you telling me, Jeremy? You you need to hear this. It's here in verse number 8. That the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that the Christian cannot get how hard their salvation was until they are able to grasp the idea that Jesus did not have to die. He didn't have to. He accepted death in obedience to the will of the Father. And so we should love salvation because of his suffering. His suffering should lead us then to obedience. 
But maybe you came here today and you needed some practical application of that. I'm glad you asked because I got, I got one for you. As a child of God, I need you to hear me. Sometimes the only way to learn obedience is through suffering. Sometimes you won't get it until you suffer through it. Sometimes it won't register. You know how they tell you, don't touch the stove? It's hot. I promise you it is. Well, I got a daring soul that didn't believe when I said, hey, that's hot. Stuck that hand right up there. Ah, what did I just tell you? Sometimes you don't learn that, 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 my grandmother used to say, sometimes you don't learn that fat meat greasy until you put it in you. You'll get that on the way. I promise you'll get it. So listen, sometimes I know you want it easy. And you may be in here right now and you're saying that I want my life to be easier. You, I know you may want it easier, but sometimes the easy way is not the most effective way. Sometimes the most effective way is when you learn through suffering. But you say, why did Jesus, Jeremy, have to come become human in the first place? Why did he have to even do this? Because you need to understand, a holy God cannot overlook sin. He just cannot do it. The sinfulness of humanity had to be punished. In the Old Testament, God required his people to sacrifice perfect animals, healthy and whole, to atone for their sins. And when the animal's blood was shed, God regarded the people's faith and obedience, cleansed them, and made them ceremonially clean. You say, why blood, Jeremy? Because there is no greater symbol, according to Leviticus 17, a symbol of life than blood. Blood is what keeps you alive. Let your blood stop flowing. See how long you live. Leviticus 17 says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. That's Leviticus 17 verse 11. He said, for the life of the creature is in the blood. At the right time, God dealt with sin once and for all. And its ultimate consequence, death and eternal separation from God. Instead of sending all of humanity to eternal punishment, God took the punishment himself. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. You ought to walk out of here today skipping, joyous, happy, jumping, and smiling at whoever you can because God dealt with your sins. Sin had to be punished. But the punishment was taken by God himself. So I'm closing. I need you to see this. He went to the point of death. He obeyed God, even if it meant he had to die for you and me. So the Bible says now, therefore, y'all see that? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above Every name because Jesus willingly set aside his glory to totally obey the will of the Father. Paul says, God has now highly exalted him. God did not leave Jesus in the grave, but he raised him from the dead, 
brought him back to the heavens and glorified him. He says, because of your obedience, God gave Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. Because of his obedience, God gave Jesus the authority to judge. Because of his obedience, God made him the Lord of both the dead and the living. Because of his obedience, God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come, does not equate to the name that that God gave Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord. He is the standard, and no one can surpass that. So that's why in verse 10, he says that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow. You don't have a choice whether you're going to do it voluntarily or whether it's going to happen involuntarily. It's going to happen. Every knee is going to bow. In heaven, all the angels will shout about his, his glory. All the people that are still alive on the earth are going to shout about his glory. All the people that didn't accept him that are still going to be on earth are going to have to bow to him. Everybody that is under the earth, that would be considered the, the demons and the, those people who, did not, uh, who died and did not believe. He says those people are even going to have to bow to the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. There's something in that name. There's power in that name. I don't know who you are today. Maybe you're struggling with a circumstance in your life, but I need you to know there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in that. He says that every knee in heaven, on earth, under the earth, he says, and every, let me make sure I turn my circle on that now, every tongue Not only will you have to bow to him, but you are going to have to tell him. Tell him what, Jeremy? That Jesus is Lord. That he's Lord. So why not do it voluntarily? Why not just tell him? Because you want to and not because you have to. That's all I have for you all today. If you're here today and you're not a child of the living God, invite Jesus into your life. Invite Jesus into your life. Invite him into your life and he will take up a relationship with you by faith as you go down in water in obedience. If you're here today and you stand in need of prayer, I don't know, maybe you, you, you're, you, you've been dealing with things in life. Jesus says, call on me. I'll be there at the right time. I'm not going to say I'm going to be there on your time, but I'll be there, though, at the right time. Will you try Jesus today? Will you try Jesus today? Stand to your feet where you are. Stand to your feet. And we want to be encouraging. We want to be encouraging today. I don't, I don't know what song. Mike, what song do we have here? Heart, heart, the gentle voice of Jesus call. Will, will, you, will you come today? One of the elders are coming. I think it's Jackie today. One of the elders are coming. Will will you come? Will you come?